Ryan, you coming up? Okay, let's pray for Graham. Lord, we just thank you for this faithful servant. And Lord, we just pray that you would just bless him and use him today just to bring your word to us, Father, that our hearts and minds would be open to hear everything that you want us to hear today. And we just speak blessing over Graham now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you'd like to open up your Bibles, please, to Mark's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible with you, they've got pew Bibles in front of you that you can reach for. We're in Mark chapter 10, and today we're focusing on verses 13 to 16. I'm going to read the verses from the English Standard Version. Let's quieten ourselves now as we hear the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Lord, as we come to the part of our worship gathering where we hear your word and receive your truth, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and begin to open our hearts and minds to all that you want for us to receive today. I pray, Lord, that you would allow me to speak your word in truth and without hindering it or getting in the way of it. And Lord, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit be upon it to convict, to exhort, and to bring forth repentance and joy in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, from a very early age, we pick up this idea that what matters about us the most, what makes us valuable, what makes us worthy, is actually tied up with our capabilities, don't we? There's this idea we pick up right from an early age that we think what makes us valuable, what makes us worthy, what makes us successful or important has to do with our abilities, what we bring to the table, what value we can offer, what strengths we have. And we believe, or we at least have this idea, that it's these abilities that we have that earn us the right to succeed in life, whatever success might look like to you. We learn that it's our strengths, our abilities that make us blessed or enable us to get what we need in this world. The person that comes to the table or enters into the world or at least in this society empty-handed without many skills and attributes and qualities with nothing to prove their worthiness will leave empty-handed. That's the kind of idea that we have 
I believe, growing up. It's very embedded in our education system and in our culture. And it's certainly an idea that forms the root of the free market economy, isn't it? That whoever is bringing the most to the table, so to speak, with ideas, strategies, they are the ones that will reap the most in a free market economy, okay? And actually, the, the same idea runs true in many world religions. This idea that the one who gains the most knowledge or the one who receives the deepest revelations is the one who is the most blessed. That what makes us valuable, what makes us worthy is what we do, okay? Is how much ability we've got. That's what makes us blessed. The one who is able, for example, in religious terms, the one who's able to live in the most strict obedience to their particular religious creed is the one who receives the most from God. But here, in this passage, we've got children. In fact, the Greek word is paideon. It speaks more of very little children. In Luke 18.15, the same story is told, and these children are called babies. These are toddlers, little kids that need to be carried in by their parents. And these little kids are receiving a blessing from Jesus. These young children who had to be carried in, they couldn't even understand the law, let alone obey it. They couldn't do anything to earn Jesus' favor. They didn't have any position or power to command him to bless them. And yet this is exactly what they received. Jesus says, to such as these little children belongs the kingdom of God. This is, right here, a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel. It's what makes Christianity, and in particular the gospel message, so radically different than anything else in the world, than any other human philosophy or religion. This is what makes the gospel different. Because the gospel isn't a message about your abilities. It's not a message about what you're capable of. It isn't a message about what you need to do to earn God's blessing. And that is the message of all other world religions. You must do this in order to earn this blessing from whatever God it is. Instead, the gospel, brothers and sisters, is captured in this text because it's a message about God's abilities. It's a message about his capabilities. It's a message about God freely blessing, freely giving of his kingdom to a people who are unworthy, who are incapable of doing anything to make themselves right in God's eyes. They haven't deserved it. They haven't earned it. They must receive God's blessing with an open hand. They've got nothing to bring to the table. That's why it's good news, isn't it? That's why the gospel's good news. It's radically different than any other message in the world. That's why it's called the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. It's a gospel where God is the one working. Through Christ, he is the one doing the work to win a people who can't do the work for themselves. 
That's why the gospel is so offensive to the carnal mind. It's so offensive to the world because we're just born with this idea that we can earn things, that we need to earn things, and if we don't earn things, it's kind of stealing. And so the gospel just runs antithetically to all of that. And I think in this passage here, we see some of that worldliness, that worldly thinking, kind of oozing out of the disciples, don't we? Because as these parents, you imagine they were probably mothers with their children, as we see them arriving at the front door, because remember, in the last passage that we studied, Jesus had gone inside, hadn't he? He'd gone inside a house. He was talking to his disciples on the question of divorce. And so you can imagine these mothers arriving at the door, knocking, uh, annoying the disciples and bringing in their loud crying babies. And they don't take them seriously. They turn around and they say, look, hey, get back. Jesus has had a busy day. He's been traveling. Remember, Jesus is still traveling down towards Jerusalem, isn't he, from the Galilee. So he's been traveling, he's been ministering, he's been debating with very important people, not like you. Please leave. Please give us some space. He's resting. He doesn't have time for you and your crying babies. I wonder if their response would have been the same if a local ruler of a synagogue had arrived at the door. I wonder if their response would have been the same if some scribes arrived at the door or a Roman official, would they have shooed them away and rebuked them as the Greek text tells us that they did? I doubt it very much actually. I doubt they would have got such short shrift from the disciples. These were women and children. They were, at the time, they were seen as the least important in society, the least valuable what could they have to offer? They made the mistake of assuming something about Jesus. They assumed that Jesus' value for these people who were seen as the least valuable in society would be the same as theirs. They made a very bad mistake. How wrong they were to think that Jesus would see these people as invaluable, unworthy. This is the only passage, actually, in all of the Gospels where Jesus himself is said to be indignant. Indignant. Do you know what indignant means? Have you ever been indignant? I'll, I'll read you the definition. This word means to arouse to anger. To arouse to anger, to vent oneself, not just to feel angry, but to vent your anger. You've been angry? Yeah, some of you are lying. That's another sin. It's to vent your anger, to actually express displeasure rather than simply brooding about it. How many of you brood in your anger? Don't lie. That's better. <laughs> Jesus' displeasure reveals his compassion and his defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. That's James Edwards. I want to make a quick point because this is really key. What upsets you or what makes you the most angry actually reveals a lot about what you value. What angers you the most 
reveals what you value the most, doesn't it? We don't get angry and wound up about things that we don't care about. And this is one of the things that I always think when we're on the streets and I, we're witnessing the gospel and I see Garth here taking a mouthful off somebody for preaching the gospel. Somebody's rude to him. And it blesses his heart. He never, ever retaliates. He smiles, he blesses them, he lets them move on. But I always think that. I'm like, you know what? If you really didn't care whether there was a God or not, you wouldn't be so angry about it. What makes us angry reveals what we value the most. What upsets you? What makes you the most indignant? Do you get upset when you hear God's word being trampled underfoot? Does it anger you when you hear Christ being misrepresented? Does it annoy you when you see people restricting other people from the gospel? Hindering them from coming to Christ? Does it anger you when you see blatant injustice and suppression of the poor and needy? You know, brothers and sisters, I want to feel more upset about those things than I do right now. I know some Christians, we misunderstand and we think that anger itself is a sin, don't we? We think anger is a sin, but actually Jesus got angry. He got angry about injustice. Are you angry about injustice today? Do you feel you ought to be a bit more indignant about the injustices in this world? I I do. I'm way too passive on a lot of it. But this is our Jesus right here. He gets angry when he sees the vulnerable, the weak, those who are seen as the least in the world. When he sees them being withheld, being abused, being held back from the gospel, guess what? He's angry and he's not just brooding. He's not just feeling upset. He flipping does something about it. It's time for the church to stop being so passive, isn't it? What makes you indignant? Jesus, in his anger, he showed his value towards the most lowly, towards these women, towards these babies, these toddlers. He says to his disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not hinder them. You see, our Lord doesn't just value the children in his words. How easy is it to say, I love you, I value you, I honor you, but actually not to back that up with action. I said, you know, we've we've got to learn here from the Lord because he, he doesn't just value and honor the women and the babies, but he actually inconveniences himself. I've no doubt in his humanity, Jesus was tired. You know, in himself as a human, he'd been traveling all day. He'd been debating, he'd been ministering, he'd been healing the sick. And then here's all these women and babies arriving at the door, probably crying and screaming as babies do. But Jesus inconveniences himself. He makes room for them. He says, let them come. Don't worry about my needs, my wants. Let them come and disrupt my time. Let them disrupt my day. That just bowls me over. How much Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced for the needs of these people. He gives them time. You know that Jesus gives time to the least deserving people? 
Whoever wants to come to him, however incapable, however sinful, you a sinner here today? (laughs) However needy, however broken, Jesus has time for you. Did you know that? He makes room for you. I think sometimes many of us feel so insignificant. Jesus has got better things to be doing. He's got more important people to be seeing than me. I think that's an idea that sometimes creeps in in our devotional time. But Jesus makes room for these people. He makes room for you, brothers and sisters. He's willing to disrupt whatever he was doing because in his eyes, these people were worthy of his time. They were worthy of his love, of his affection. This is a wonderful message of our good shepherd right here, of his love, his grace towards us. Christ not only says these things, but actually he welcomes them in, doesn't he? Come in. He desires their company. Did you ever think of that before? I think sometimes growing up in a Christian environment and hearing the gospel, I sometimes saw it more as a formula, right? Kind of me plus sin is cancelled out by Christ plus death plus resurrection. And I missed out the whole fact that God did that for love. But it's right there in John 3.16. It was... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The the offer of the cross was because of God's love. It flowed from his love for you. And so Christ actually wants your company. He wants you to come to him. He wants the lowliest to come to him. The poorest, the most broken, the most sinful, the most wicked, the most proud, the most haughty. Whatever it is, the people group that you think is the worst in the world, he wants them to come to him. Isn't that amazing? It's an encouragement today for us, brothers and sisters. However small and insignificant and powerless you might feel, Jesus is interested in you. He welcomes you in. He says, let them come to me. Jesus desires to be with us. John 6:37 says, "All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out." One of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture. "Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." Another beautiful saying of Christ. Let me read this to you. Matthew 11:28. This one touches me so deeply. "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Are you weary today? Are you burdened? Christ says, come to me, I will give you rest. We've got to remember here that that Jesus is talking specifically about the children, isn't he? Let the children, he says, come to me. Let the paideon, the little children and babies, let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't put obstacles in their way. Jesus wants children to be able to come to him. Let let me just make a few points about this because it's important. Firstly, that means something. That means that children can come to him. That means Jesus can, sorry, that means children can accept the gospel. They can believe in Christ. Hence, they can be saved. 
they can be Christians. If Jesus says, let them come to me, that means children can come to him. That means they must come to him. They can understand the gospel. They can be saved. That also means they can be Christians. Therefore, they can be part of his church. Not junior members. Fully signed up members of the church of Jesus Christ. But because of their age, because of their vulnerability, they actually need our help as adults. They need our help to come to Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying to the disciples is also true of us. Just as he said to the disciples, don't hinder them. Don't put any obstacle in their way. Let them come to me. So just the same as for us, whether you're parents, whether you are um, uncles, aunties, grandfathers, godfathers, godmothers, grandmother, whatever it is, aunties, uncles, I think I've said them all as much as I can remember, we're not to hinder children in any way from coming to Jesus, but we're actually to help them come to him, to encourage them, to facilitate their coming to Christ. And since Jesus rebuked the disciples so strongly, he was so angry at them for this one thing, uh, more than all the other things, strangely, it never says he was indignant, indignant about any of their other, you know, silly behaviours. But this one in particular really angered Jesus. So I think it's key here. We don't want to be making the same mistake, amen? We don't want to be making the same mistake because there are some forms of hindering children coming to Christ that are done knowingly by people. I know that sounds awful to say, but there are people in this world that want to knowingly hinder young people from coming to Jesus Christ. Just like the disciples were trying to shut the door in their face, there are people that actually want to do that. They hinder people from coming to Christ knowingly. Whether children or we could extend this to adults too. There are people out there that want to hinder people, the weak, the vulnerable, from coming to the throne of grace. How do they do that? Well, they may do that through undermining the word of God. Undermining God's word. Just like Satan in the garden, the question that Satan asked, did God really say? You've heard it said, but did God really say? There are people out there that are willfully distorting and questioning the truth of God's word, of his gospel. Is Christ really the only way to be saved? Brothers and sisters, I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed. There are sadly an increasing number of people out there, particularly on TikTok, on Instagram, who are preaching universalism. That all will be saved. That nobody needs to repent. God's going to work it all out. You just live in your filth and your sin. God will work it out. You don't need to do nothing. Brothers and sisters, that's hindering people from coming to the throne of grace. That's endangering people of eternal hell and destruction. This is serious. I believe they fall under Jesus' condemnation there. Secondly, I believe people can hinder children and other people from coming to Christ through prejudice, through not extending the gospel to somebody or to a people group because you're doing a Jonah. You're saying those people don't deserve grace. They're so evil. They're so wicked. They're so unworthy. I don't want to lift a finger to see them get anything from God. There's a hatred 
We see this in racism in the world, where people cannot even lift a finger to see somebody saved because they have a deep hatred of a people group. We see this in all sorts of ways. People doing a Jonah, Lord, I will not preach to them. I do not want to see them in my church. I do not want to see them be blessed of God because just like Joseph's brother, they could not say a good word about him. Why? Because they hated him. They couldn't say a good word about him because they hated him. And there's that is a real thing. And I, I, I believe even in many churchgoers, there's a hatred for people outside of the church which shouldn't exist. Amen? That's why we believe in preaching the gospel. Every Thursday we go out, don't we? And we do what we can. We, we, we leave the rest to God. But we want to throw open wide the doors of Christ's offer for salvation and not hinder anyone. Thirdly, some knowingly hinder children and others from coming to Christ through teaching a false gospel, similar to the first one, but by distorting the gospel, making it into something that it isn't biblically, turning it into a health-wealth gospel. You know, come to Jesus, get your blessing, get your breakthrough, get your financial payout, right? And so what we do is these people will teach people a code of behavior, a code of behavior to get blessings from God. They treat him like a vending machine. And so you've got all these people in these churches. They're packed full. They're packed full. They're busy. They're hyped. They're exciting places to be. But everyone in there has come to get something from God. They've come with their behavior. They've come something with, with something in hand. Not like these babies who had nothing to offer, but they've come with declarations, with a, a seed offering, Whatever it is that they feel is going to get them that breakthrough, get them that healing, get them that blessing. They come with that, they put the money in the vending machine and they expect whatever they requested to come out. There's no repentance going on. There's no mention of hell. There's no mention of sin. It's a false gospel. Nobody gets saved through a false gospel, brothers and sisters. There are those who knowingly teach this stuff and knowingly hinder people from coming to Christ. So we've got to be praying in these times, isn't it? For our nation, for the church. I do want to say also that it's also true that though there are some that knowingly hinder children from coming to Christ or knowingly hinder the unsaved from coming to Christ, there are also ways that we can unwittingly hinder children from coming to Christ. And this one's a bit different. We don't know we're doing it. And so sometimes we need to go to God and say, Lord, how can I be better at facilitating people and children to come to you? So how might we unwittingly hinder somebody? Well, one way would be through our example. Not just through the words we say, but, but actually how we live. There's a quote, I can't remember who says it, but it says this. Our lives are the only Bible that some people will ever read. Do you get what that's saying? You know, when we consistently say one thing, but actually do another, what we're telling people, what we're telling children particularly, is that they don't actually need to take our words too seriously. When we consistently say Christ is king, but we live like we're king, you can see how, well, Dad, I don't really need to take you too seriously on that. Or when we say, thou shalt not lie, but then they see their dad lie. Well, daddy, I, I don't need to listen to that too much. I take that with a pinch of salt, 
right? So as parents particularly, if you're a parent in here, a grandparent, what we need to do, and I would say this for all of you actually, parents or not, this matters. We have to realize that our choices, the choices we make, our actions, the things that we actually do consistently in our lives, speak to our families and to our children in particular, in, in particular way more powerfully than our words do. What we do consistently, what we choose consistently, actually speaks a way more powerful message to our children, to those who are, we are impacting in our lives, than our words. Words are very, very important. But if those words are not underpinned, you see, by behavior, then those words become less powerful, don't they? So the challenge today is, are we hindering children and others coming to Christ by our example? Are there things that I could be doing and changing in my life to facilitate my children and others at this church coming to Christ or others around me coming to Christ? Jesus commands us. He says, let the children come to me. He also says this, the kingdom of God belongs to them. I want you to see quickly how those two are connected. We miss this all the time. We miss all the time Jesus pointing to himself as the king of the kingdom of God. Let the children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to them. So what is he saying? To come to me is to come to the kingdom. There's only one way in to the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. There's only one door. There's only one gate. And that is Jesus Christ. One. Not many. One way to enter into God's kingdom. John 14, 6, of course, says, I am the way. Definite article. I am the truth and the life. No one. Say no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel is exclusive in that sense. Inclusive of all who come to Christ, but exclusive in that the only way anyone shall be saved in all of time is through this one man, Jesus Christ. Christ says these children share in the kingdom of God. He actually says it belongs to them. I'll say it again. There's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no junior kingdom of God. No kingdom light. We all enter into the same kingdom, adults and children. We all enter in the same way through Jesus Christ. We all receive the same kingdom and the same Holy Spirit, the same power from on high, however old or young we are. So let me say this quickly. I know in this church we understand this, but it's always worth a refresher. Kids are not distractions in church. Amen? Our children are not distractions. They're not there to be shushed or kept quiet. They're not to be seen and not heard. They're actually equal members of the kingdom of God in Christ's church, all those who believe. Amen? So we treat them as such. We teach them the gospel. We treat them as though they are members of this family, of this congregation. Because in Christ's eyes, they are. Our children are to be treated as members of the church, not as outsiders, not as second-class citizens, because Jesus blessed the children 
that came to him. So how can I not do the same? How can we not do the same? He takes them in his arms. He embraces them. He lays hands on them. There's so much wrapped up in that statement. You know, we heard from Sam last week about what it means for for us to say to somebody, God bless you. If you were here last week, incredible. If you weren't, please go back and watch it. But he said, you know, we don't realize what we're saying when we say to somebody, God bless you. What we're actually saying is we are, we are ultimately inviting them to be saved. The way we enter into God's blessing is, in, is through his covenant. It's through his covenant. We're saying when we say God bless you, we're saying, brother, sister, we want you to be saved. We want you to experience God's covenant blessings in Christ Jesus for you to be in relationship with him. So let's just practically think on this. How can we help in this church our children, our young people, come to Christ and be blessed? And let's extrapolate it. If we don't have kids, how can we think of ways that we could encourage other children and young people, just like Jesus says, not to be hindered but to come to him? There's a few practical pointers that popped up to me. These are from my life and things that I've tried to put into practice that I think might help. But weigh them. These are not the word of the Lord. This is my, my, my words and my advice. But I think one great way for us that has been to engage our kids and help them come to Christ has, has been to try and make a practice of family worship. Family worship at home. So praying together, opening up the scriptures together over dinner. Um, you know, the girls hate it when we sing together and that gets a bit messy but we try as best we can to have a time of family worship in our household secondly we share the gospel with them we don't hold the gospel back from them we don't just give them all the god loves you blah 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 blah. we give them the you know what you have sins that need to be paid for and that's that's why we come to jesus we we tell them about the gospel in love because we believe they can respond to it Thirdly, we catechize our kids. Do you know what that means? Not cauterize them. We don't hold a, a, quarter, a cauterization iron. No, Derek, before you report me. Repeat that. Thank you. Instruct. So to catechize is to instruct them. And so this is why we do creeds at this church. These are historic church creeds. What's happening when we read them is we're being catechized. We're being instructed about the Christian faith and so we use the kids Westminster Catechism which is just takes out all the these and thous and replaces them with easier to understand language but it's great because we they get annoyed when we do it for sure they don't sit still but we do it because it's important for them to come to come to grips with what the Christian faith means that we worship one God in three persons not three gods right these things are important for them so we catechize them we use the kids Westminster confession of faith next up we bring them to church on Sundays now it's a funny way to say it come to church on Sundays isn't it because when we speak biblically we actually don't come to church right we are the church you are the church we together are the church so we don't come to church we are the church but we gather to worship amen we gather to worship together because we're commanded to by scripture. 
Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering together as it is the custom of some to do. And of course, the fourth commandment was keep the Sabbath holy. It's supposed to be a day every week that is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And as part of that, for millennia, Christians have come together to worship, to sing praise together, to hear the word of God, to enjoy the sacraments as we've done today. And so by bringing our kids to church every Sunday, it shows them that it it matters to us. It shows them that this being part physically of the body of Christ is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, sure, going to church doesn't save you. We all know that, don't we? It doesn't save you. But at the same time, that idea, I think, gets run away with where people are just like, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, so therefore I won't. (laughs) And there's a danger in there because we are commanded by God to actually physically meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ as often as we're able. And so I think it's really important to do that. I know for us as we were kids, we had to go every Sunday. I didn't want to. Um, It wasn't always fun. Uh, (laughs) But we we did. We went every Sunday without fail. I never had to ask mum and dad, are we going to church today? Because I knew the answer to that question. (laughs) And I'd sometimes be dragged along. But over the years, what it did for me was it actually opened up several really formative relationships for me, particularly with older people in the church, faithful adults. So Gary and Caroline Price, who run the well, like Wolverhampton Food Bank, they were at my church at the time and they ran the youth group. And so they got to know me, they poured into my life, they prayed for me, made a huge impact on my life. There were others as well that still to this day pray for me, watch out for me. And that came as just a result of consistently being in that community year on year, right? So I think going to church on Sundays or being the church and coming to worship, that's really important as well. That helps them come to Christ. Also, I think being an example to them in your relationships. So with your spouse at home or with their siblings, like my daughters pick up on all of that. And I know you'll know that too. If you've been involved in a family, how your dad or your mom behave, if they're Christians, like speaks a lot to you, doesn't it? You watch things. And so often as parents, I need to remember, I don't want to hinder either of my girls coming to Christ by the way that I treat my wife or the way that I treat them. So that's another really key thing, isn't it? We've got to try to let the Lord in in all of our relationships as well. I hope this is okay. I understand some of this is, is like, you know, you know it already or, you know, so it's basic stuff, but I thought I'd share it anyway. J.C. Ryle says, um, we must never allow ourselves to suppose that little children's souls may be safely left alone. Their characters for life depend exceedingly on what they see and hear during their first seven years. J.C. Ryle, the, the Bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s. And Jesus says that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like one of these children, remember toddlers even, whoever doesn't receive it like one of these shall not enter it. In fact, that shall not, if you've got the ESV, could be rendered, will never enter it. There's two Greek negative words together there, which could be translated, whoever doesn't receive it like them will never enter it. So what did Jesus mean by that? 
Is he saying we've all got to start wearing pampers to church? Or that we've got to somehow imitate childlikeness in order to really be in his kingdom? This is important to grasp, I think, before we finish up today. This is the last point I want to make before closing. But in modern times, we actually generally think of childhood as a time of innocence. There's a time of innocence. So is what Jesus saying here, listen, if you receive the kingdom of God, like these children, in innocence you shall receive it. Is that what he meant? That we've got to be innocent to receive the kingdom? I don't think that's quite the right interpretation. Or is Jesus saying, listen, if you receive the kingdom like a child, you know how children are spontaneous, Right? They, they are just so lively and exuberant. They're full of joy. Is he saying receive it in that manner or else you won't enter it? I don't think that's the right interpretation either. Because in ancient times, childhood was viewed differently. It wasn't celebrated the way that it is now. There was high mortality rates. And it was t- seen as more of a time of vulnerability, of helplessness, of powerlessness. I'll read a quote to you. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than any merit inherent in him or herself. Little children, therefore, are a picture of disciples of Christ for only empty hands can be filled. You know, some have turned this whole saying of Jesus on its head by saying, if you want to be blessed of God, if you want to receive the kingdom, you need to be childlike. Be like a child. Be joyful. Be exuberant. Be innocent. But that's to turn what Jesus is saying on its head. It's to make God's blessing dependent on certain virtues and values and qualities in you. Well, actually, Jesus is saying, listen, if you come like a little child, you're coming without anything to qualify yourself to me. You're coming because you need it. You need this. You've got nothing to purchase the blessing from God. You come because you need it, because you can't do anything else. To receive Christ like a child today, brothers and sisters, is to come to him needy, to come to him without anything to offer. No good works to commend yourself, no social standing, no money, no influence, no power, no good works of a religious nature, nothing but your sins and the empty hand of faith. As Jonathan Edwards once said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sins of that necessitated it. (laughs) I think that's a stern but true word. John Calvin said this, faith is like an empty open hand stretched out towards God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. Is your empty hand stretched out today? Have you received The grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let's stand, shall we? I'm going to invite Yvonne and the worship team back up.
as we remember this message about Jesus receiving the little children. Let's remember that this message is also for all of you. Christ receives all. And he asks us to receive like little children. I would ask you today again, I know many of you personally, I know many of you have been Christians many years, but we must ask ourselves again, are we, are we coming to God with that simple childlike faith today? Are we coming to God with that open hand, nothing in it to commend ourselves, but simply saying, I just need you, Jesus. I need you, God. Are we hungry for his grace? Are we hungry for relationship with him? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves and examine our hearts today. As we worship, I just want for us to, once again, just thank the Lord God for his grace on our lives today. Remember that we are just like those little children. We had nothing to commend ourselves, but Jesus said, don't hinder that person from coming to me. Let them come. Jesus inconvenienced himself for you. He went to the cross for you. He took shame and abuse and disrespect for each one of you. He inconvenienced himself so that you might come to him without hindrance today. Let's pray and we will worship. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would cause these words to be more than just words, but to be spirit and life. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring joy and peace for all those who know you today, to know that you love them, that you want their fellowship, that you enjoy being with them. We pray that we would once again just be amazed at the grace of God, that we who had nothing to commend ourselves to you have been fully blessed by you in Christ Jesus, that there is no junior kingdom or kingdom light, but all who come to you and repent and believe enter into your kingdom and receive your blessing in abundance. Amen. Let's worship together.